Amen. Thank you for that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 1. The book of Genesis, the first chapter. In 1925, the, uh, what was called the Scopes Monkey Trial, it upheld the law. It actually was a, a teacher that was on trial for teaching evolution. And in that trial, the law was upheld that made teaching evolution in public schools uh, illegal. But by 1987, the Supreme Court ruled that teaching creationism, or the idea that God created the universe, uh, that that is unconstitutional in 2005, a federal court declared if you suggest even the possibility of a higher being's influence uh, while teaching about the origins of the universe, that is illegal. So, we live in a world that has dramatically uh, changed. And many objections to Christianity revolve around the idea of creation versus evolution. And some of the questions some of you have been asked by uh, workmates, classmates, family or friends or people you meet is, hasn't scientific evidence uh, of evolution disproved creationism or hasn't science disproved the Bible? So we're going to look in our series on dealing with doubt, we're going to look at the evidence and the implications of both evolution and creation. I'm doing this series on dealing with doubt because the Bible teaches us that God wants you to use your mind. If you believe something because uh, the pastor says it's true, that's good, but that will not sustain you in life. You must think. And so we're thinking about some of these issues. Creation versus evolution. Genesis 1, verse 1. Read with me there. The Bible says, In the beginning God created... The heavens and the earth. In verse uh, 31, this is the conclusion of creation. Then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Creation versus evolution. Let's begin. I want to talk about monkey business. In uh, uh, the 1800s, the naturalist Charles Darwin, he wrote a book after a lengthy uh, trip through some uh, Pacific Islands, he wrote a book entitled On the Origin of the Species, and he put forth the theory of natural selection. That is, that creatures just happen to develop or change over time dependent on need. This has been dubbed the theory of evolution, or that creatures evolve upward and, and that all creatures have descended from common ancestors. The most famous part of his theory was that our direct descendants uh, are uh, monkeys or apes. Along with that, after Charles Darwin, in order to explain how this could all, you have to uh, explain where everything came from in the beginning... And they came up with the idea of the Big Bang, which is uh, the right chemicals came together and life 
formed. And you appreciate, in, in, uh, I just want to say, just pause right here. In teaching this, in some of the things that we're discussing, I feel like the, the, you know, the little boy who has a glass and he dips in the ocean, and I've got all the ocean right there. So uh, we are, of course, uh, skimming the surface so that you begin to think for yourself. But from Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution or natural selection and the Big Bang theory, which was uh, uh, added to that to give a uh, original cause to everything, a number of things have developed over the years from that. Number one is the theory of evolution has been elevated in many people's minds to incontrovertible fact. Even though it's called the theory of evolution, not the law, it's a hypothesis, but it has been repeated so much, it has been taught as the only option in the origins of life that most people, often they will come to the conclusion, they believe that it has been proved, that this is proved. And this is why you get people who look at you with an odd look and they say, hasn't science proved evolution? Or hasn't science disproved creationism? And so it's been elevated from theory to incontrovertible fact. Number two is there are many people, they mistakenly believe that there is tension between science and the Bible. They mistakenly have the idea that the Bible is against science or that science is somehow evil. And that is absolutely uh, uh, not true. It was uh, Richard Dawkins who wrote, he's an atheist, wrote The God Delusion. He said, you cannot be an intelligent scientific thinker and still hold religious beliefs. Richard Dawkins, he said it must be true, right? And so this is the idea that somehow there's a, uh, a tension between science and the Bible. The third thing that has happened over the years is there's an intense assault against the biblical view of creation. Richard Dawkins, again, said it's absolutely safe to say if you meet somebody who claims not to believe in evolution, they're either ignorant, stupid, or insane. It's a pretty reasonable fellow. 2005 in Topeka, Kansas, they, a conflict erupted. They wanted to uh, simply teach students in public schools. Uh, uh, they wanted them to hear an opposing view that this is what they're going to teach evolution. And they're going to say, but other people believe that there was... A, uh, uh, intelligent design and and there was an uproar one man said it's ridiculous to backtrack to the 1700s and subvert our education to superstition and religion very recently a NASA uh, specialist he worked uh, uh, he was fired rather from his job at the jet propulsion laboratory by uh, NASA he was uh, fired for believing in it, intelligent design or in other words God created uh, the earth. He had to sue NASA for discrimination. His lawyer said as part of a pattern, there's basically a war on anyone who dissents from Darwin. We've seen that for several years. The fourth thing that's happened is that the, these theories have made their way into the church. Many Christians, some pastors even, they want to accommodate evolution into creation. You'll hear various explanations. There's the gap theory between Genesis 1 and uh, verse 1 and Genesis 1 verse 2 maybe there was a gap of millions of years that's one theory others say well 
chapter 1 of creation, that was just like poetry. It, wasn't, it didn't really mean that. And still others, that maybe the six days of creation, maybe they weren't 24 hours long. Maybe they were like millions of years long. Why that would be necessary if God can create something from nothing. I don't know what the logic of that is. Maybe he then got tired and said, that's as much as I can do for today. I, I don't get that. But nonetheless, so this is, this is what's happening. I want to state to you at the beginning, creationism and evolution, they are contradictory. They're not compatible. You cannot mix creation and evolution. Now, I did not say you can't mix science and the Bible. Science and the Bible go together just fine. But creation and evolution uh, uh, do not. And each of those has implications for whoever believes in either evolution or creation. Professor Harlow Shapley of Harvard once stated, Some people piously proclaim in the beginning God. I say in the beginning hydrogen. And he at least understands that you have to Choose. So, let's talk secondly about worshiping the creation then. Having given that very brief foundation. Worshiping the creation. We need to look as we begin, before we look at the evidence, let's talk about the issue of science for a moment. One of the common statements, and one of the young men tell me that one of his workers uh, says these, said these words to him the other day, I trust science over the Bible. Or I trust scientists over the Bible. And so that's common. I've run into numbers of people who have said that. But let's just talk about science for a moment. If your confidence is in scientists, you need to understand scientists are human. They're people. If they're people, that has some implications. Number one, they can be biased by personal feelings and desires. Their own ego, their desire for advancement to in their field or their job, their pride, their willingness or unwillingness to admit whether they're wrong or not, personal feelings get in, uh, in there. I was reading about this. They, they uh, did a survey of scientists. More than 5% of scientists admitted tossing out data that contradicted previous research or some desired result. And 13.5% said they had used research methods or approaches they knew would not give accurate results. Now, these are the people that, they're, they're people that are they're forming their whole weight of life upon, if scientists said it, I trust them. But these scientists say, we lie. Second thing is they can be biased by money. A recent confidential questionnaire among scientists said, more than 15% of scientists admitted they have changed a published result to suit the desires of a financial backer. So someone says, I'll give you $20 million for your research. You now have a job for the next two years. All of your uh, assistants, you all have jobs, but they're not providing the money because they like your smile. They want something. And so they say, come on, man, it's for a job. They have changed results to suit what their backer wanted. The third thing is humans make mistakes. Scientists are good, but if they're human, that means that somewhere it's possible they could make a mistake. The theory of evolution has been backed up. As Charles Darwin is not the one who came up with this. It was in, in later years. 
with the Big Bang Theory. Because if we all came from monkey, you know, then what about, then it used to be a fish, then it used to be an amoeba. But where did it all come from? And that is always the sticking point in the beginning. And so they had the idea of the Big Bang. And for years they have referred to the Big Bang. I don't know if you saw this. Last month they, they came out here and, and uh, uh, if the Big Bang Theory is correct, our universe should not exist according to research published in June by physicists at King's College in London. The shocking discovery implies that if the Big Bang Theory, as it has been taught, believed, and postulated for years, if it was true, the universe should have collapsed less than one second after it exploded into existence. For years, they clung to a belief that a universe was steady and had existed indefinitely. But recent advances in physics have forced most scientists to admit that the universe had a beginning and it's been expanding ever since. And that has totally changed all, everything that they believed and were calculating. They said, oops, it's, we realized we were wrong. Robert Jastrow, he's the founder of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies. He is a self-proclaimed agnostic. He said the implications of this for the science, scientists who's lived by his faith and the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. So you've been basing your whole life on this theory. And then scientists said, uh, we got the data wrong. We made a mistake. Which is, of course, possible if you're human, Right? Any human being has, can make mistakes. So, I'll just say that in passing for the issue of science. Let's talk about the issue of evidence for a moment. Evolution is a theory. It is a hypothesis. It is a supposition. This is what we think happened. And the problem is, it is without substantiating evidence. Let's talk about several of these. Number one... If there was a gradual change from lowest life form to the highest, there should be evidence of transitional fossils. In other words, it was uh, partly a snail and then it became a cat. And so we should find fossils that are part snail and part cat. Now, of course, I'm going to use examples that are ridiculous. But, but uh, the idea is that you should expect to find fossil evidence. And the problem is fossils do not show evidence of uh, that one species evolves into a complete different species. This is why biology texts now say that fossils are irrelevant to evolution and the necessity of finding a missing link is unnecessary because it takes millions of years for such a link to appear. They say, well, of course there's no evidence in the fossils because it took millions of years. Okay. Over the last 150 years, paleontologists, these are those who research fossils and such, they estimate, they have examined approximately 1 billion fossils, representing 250,000 species. And each of these are primarily found in a layer of rock called the Cambrian uh, layer. And in the Cambrian rock, uh, uh, what they find out of these 1 billion fossils they primarily are formed creatures. They appear suddenly, completely developed, not through gradual transition as evolution would suggest. 
hardcore evolutionist uh, uh, Richard Dawkins said, it is as though they were just planted there without any evolutionary history. Now, this is not a man who wants them to be wrong. Right? So, we, this, this is the whole idea, is there's evidence of life as it used to be. So, it's reasonable. Come on. And they'll say, well, and there's, they normally can name about six to eight examples that are highly debatable. What See that at the end? That's a tale. Wouldn't you think if you have a billion examples, you would find more than a couple? Shouldn't there be clear evidence? You know, that's half fish, half bird, right? But you're not finding that. And in fact, the fossil record, what they claim, the, the whole idea is it's millions and billions of years. The problem is the fossil record does not prove the age of the earth is incredibly old. It actually proves cataclysm. How did they mostly get fossils in the Cambrian layer? 95% of all fossils are sea creatures, clams, mollusks. Fish, things like that, you find very little. And what you discover is they were buried by mud. Sudden cataclysm, which the Bible explains what that is. It's called the flood. And so here, this is the fossil record. Number two, evolution has no way of explaining how positive, permanent change takes place. Right? So the idea is that Depending on need. You needed something, so they just started changing. The most famous example is giraffes. Why do they have long necks? Because the food was up high, and they stretched and stretched. We need food up there, and so eventually they're... That at least makes sense. I don't believe it, but at least it's logical, right? Okay. Here's the problem. How do organisms without backbones... Grow one. And if there's this long process of, I've got part of a backbone, how do they live with partial backbone? How, how do you? I, I think I need one. I need hair and another four inches, but I, it's not going to happen. Right? Appreciate some of your silence there. Okay. <laughs> How do organisms without teeth develop teeth? Come on, this, this is beyond a you know a giraffe and come on. Little like, organism in the seas like I could really dig on a chili dog. I did, I, I need some teeth for this. <laughs> and how do they survive with all these partial teeth? In the meantime, how do Creatures that lay eggs, how did they develop uterus, ovaries, and a, and a necessary hormonal system to stimulate ovulation? And how did that happen at the exact same time there just happened to be a male of the species who developed, who could fertilize that? And how did those two dominate and take over the whole species? I'm sorry, that doesn't make sense. The third problem is evolution violates established scientific laws. 
There are laws of science that everybody agrees on. It is true. You don't think it's, it's, it is absolutely true. One of those is the second law of thermodynamics, which is the law of entropy. That means that things break down or they have, over time, there is decreasing or downward complexity. And that is a law. That is how the universe works. The problem is evolution goes against one of the most foundational laws. It is saying over time things went upward or became more complex. You used to be a one-cell amoeba and now you're a human being. You just kind of moved up the food chain, but that totally goes against established scientific laws. Over a hundred years ago, it was Louis Pasteur who proved that spontaneous biogenesis cannot occur. In other words, life cannot. It does not and cannot come from non-life. Something that has no life already in it does not suddenly live. And, and, and scientists accept that. They say, yes, that's true. A cell cannot increase its complexity. It cannot add information to its DNA. So, the problem is evolution is depending on something called mutation. A cell mutates. It changes. Mutation just means a change. The problem is nothing mutates upward. Mutations in, uh, uh, in biology are harmful. They're not good. They're not beneficial. And anytime you have a mutation, usually within a set number of cellular generations, it dies out. A mutation does not remain because it's not the way it was supposed to. To be Colin Patterson was an evolutionist. He said, after 20 years of working on evolution, I realized there was not one thing that I knew about evolution that was true. Think about that. So, he said, I've asked various people a simple question. Can you tell me any one thing about evolution you know is... Not, not what do you suppose, what do you think, what do you... No, no, no. What do you know is true about evolution? He says, I asked the geology staff at the Field Museum of Natural History and all I got was silence. I asked members of the Evolutionary Morphology Seminar of the University of Chicago, very prestigious body of evolutionists, tell me, what one thing do you know is true? He said, I got silence for a long time and eventually one scientist said, I do know one thing, evolution should not be taught in high school. One of the common statements that you will hear is this, that creation can't be true because it can't be seen in a test tube. You can't measure creation in a laboratory. That is absolutely true. But neither can evolution. So you're going to have to face this. Evolution is without evidence, so if you believe in it, it requires faith. And I think it actually requires more faith because it makes no sense. <laughs> you, you can't explain how that's going to happen. Given, the common explanation is that given enough time, it could happen. Well, it could. I mean, you get chemicals for enough years, 
That's why they're talking billions of years and millions of years. British biologist Thomas uh, Huxley, he was a staunch defender of evolution. He's the one who said, if you let monkeys type on a keyboard for long enough, eventually one of them would come up with the works of Shakespeare. Right? Just time. That's the answer. I know you can't see it, but Plymouth University decided to test this. They put a computer keyboard (laughs) in with six monkeys, and researcher Mike Phillips recorded that one male beat on the keyboard with a rock. He said they also like defecating and urinating all over the keyboard. (laughs) said the monkeys didn't produce anything readable. He said, obviously, English isn't their first language. (laughs) I did throw that in for humor effect. But, seriously, Dr. Bolden, uh, uh, David Heiser, he tested the mathematical probability, because this is, it's given enough time. Uh, A monkey could produce it. He said, what is the mathematical probability? He said, what if we had a million monkeys typing on a million keyboards, 24 hours a day, He said, how long would it take, let's not worry about all the works of Shakespeare, how long would it take before by chance, because remember, evolution is, it happened by chance. How long would it take by chance for them to come up with the first line of Hamlet? He said, mathematically, it would take 284 trillion years. That's pretty reasonable. So, the statement is, evolution is impossible because nobody times nothing equaling everything is impossible. Right? That's what evolution... There was nothing. There was nobody. You put those together, and that's where everything came from. Listen, I say that is not only impossible, that's ridiculous. Famous illustration, Sir Isaac Newton... He had an exact replica of our solar system built in miniature. It was all geared together by cogs and belts, and the planets moved around the sun in perfect harmony. One day a friend who uh, stopped by had never seen this before, and his friend did not believe in the biblical account of creation that we just read the first verse of. He marveled. He said, why, Newton, what an exquisite thing. Who made this for you? And Newton said, nobody. He said, nobody? He said, that's right. I said, nobody. All these bells and cogs and belts and gears, they just happened to come together and they began revolving in perfect set orbits with perfect timing. It just happened. But that's what evolution is claiming by chance. So, really what is clear is people are driven to believe in evolution in spite of the evidence. I don't know if you caught this just two weeks ago. NASA held a press conference, they said, this press conference, humanity will find direct evidence that we are not alone in the universe within 20 years. It is overwhelmingly likely that life will have emerged somewhere in our galaxy of 100 billion suns. So far, all of our attempts to find life in our solar system have fallen flat. And even though no direct evidence of life has been found anywhere outside of Earth, scientists believe it exists somewhere. A NASA director said, just imagine the moment when we find the potential signatures of life. Imagine the moment when the world wakes up and the human race realizes our long loneliness in time and space is over. The possibility we're no longer alone in the universe. 
So now think about this. These are intelligent people. They have spent how many, only God knows how many billions of dollars to try to find life. Not one shred of life. But this man with a straight face says, but we are going to find it. Well, of course, it is coincidental that's his job. But job aside, rational people look at it. That's right. So really, you, people are driven to believe in something that has no evidence, doesn't make sense. Why is that? The Bible tells us that that drivenness to believe in something like evolution is a moral issue. Pastor Mitchell preached this morning from Romans 1, 28. It says, when they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Because the alternative to evolution is an affront to human pride. Professor DMF Watson said, evolution itself is accepted by zoologists. Not because it's been observed to occur or can be proved by logically coherent evidence to be true, but because the only alternative, special creation, is clearly incredible. So in other words, there, there's something about that, that, yeah, we brought ourselves up from the ooze. The idea that God created, I, I, I can't accept that. And then, of course, the second reason is the accountability to the Creator and His laws. Romans 1, 22 and 23, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And then if we'd have kept on reading, Romans 1 moves from belief to conduct or actions. So the issue of unbelief in what God says, and believing in alternatives is a moral one. I want to live a certain way, and I do not want my conduct to be challenged. Let's talk finally about the logical choice. So, what we have to face is both creation and evolution. They both require faith. Right? I wasn't there at the creation. Nor were you. Nobody here has seen evolution. So, either one of those, and, that, and that's the problem. You've, you've had people challenge, yeah, 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 I, I believe in science. I don't believe. Listen, evolution is faith. So, neither can be reproduced in a lab. So, the key is you choose to believe which one is the most logical. Based on the evidence. The reason why I'm preaching this series is God wants you to use your brain. Mark 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. God wants you to think. Faith is not just, I believe it, it must be true. No, no, no. It's, it's logical. Listen, I believe in creation because it is the theory that makes the most sense. Number one, creation is in line with the laws of science. The established laws of science. Life cannot come from non-life. 
Living organisms don't evolve up, they devolve downward. Which of the two agrees with that? Creation. Number two, creation is in line with the fossil records. What do you find in fossils? Sudden, not gradual. Complex, not simple. And there are gaps between fossilized kinds. In other words, if it is a mammal, you don't find part mammal, part fish. And creation, the the fossil record lines up with creation, not evolution. Thirdly, creation is in line with genetic information. Your DNA... The genes of living creatures have remained fixed primarily over time. Please do not confuse adaptation with mutation. Adaptation is if you live in, you know, air uh, where the air is thin or if you have to run a lot, you know, your body may change. Adaptation simply means the existing DNA, your body may reorganize what is already existing so that it functions better but it does not mutate and change into another species. So, one of the issues here is genetic information can be mapped. Have you ever seen this? They've, they've done article, I've seen it in articles, apparently they've done it on TV, is they get celebrities and they test their blood, they do the DNA, and they say, do you know, this guy's like totally white, he's like Snow White, do you know that in your, you are African American, back in the... What? I had no idea. That's right. Be, because they can map your DNA of what used to be can still be mapped today. And if they map your DNA today, they do not find that you're part fish. Because if you used to be something in your DNA, it would show it. Now, I, I admit, there are some men that I've met that say, that guy's a dog. I... I true there are women I say she's a snake that's true but that's in their heart not in their DNA (laughs) can you say bow well okay all right fourthly creation is in line with the specificity of creation You hear a term, I think I mentioned in the first sermon, it's called specificity, design specificity, or fine-tuning. What that means is that life can only exist in an extraordinarily narrow set of circumstances. This is why the nonsense, we're going to travel to outer space, we're going to find life somewhere. The problem is life can only exist in unbelievably specific circumstances. If you vary any of the factors of life, any of the variables altered even in a minute way, life cannot exist. Listen to this. Astrophysicist Lawrence Krauss, he said, if the force of gravity were changed by a billionth of one percent, right? Gravity, the force that holds everything together or holds things down, as we could say, He said, if that force was changed a billionth of one percent, both the earth and the sun would be non-existent. If gravity was slightly stronger, stars would flame out so fiercely they would burn out in a single year. If it was slightly weaker, and we're talking billionth here, 
stars wouldn't even form. The cosmos would be a thin, undifferentiated blur. And there's, a, there's a, many of these. The, the crust of the earth, if it was slightly thicker, everything in the world would freeze because heat from the earth wouldn't come up. If it was slightly thinner, everything would burn. You wouldn't be able to breathe. And you go on and on and on. It is as though it has been designed here by a designer. I think in the first sermon I said, if you find a Swiss watch in the desert, you don't think, man, that just happened. You know somebody designed it. Creation lines up with design specificity. And finally, only creation explains the human condition. Either for good or bad, why are people different than animals? Right? Only human beings have complex language and writing skills. I I know some of you think your dogs are brilliant, but... (laughs) Only human beings have that, and that's a whole issue in itself. On the good side, why is it in human beings you find philanthropy? You find people, they want to help. Now, I know an animal will protect their own. may even protect the herd. But, you know, next time there's a, a disaster in, in Asia, I don't think you're going to find grizzly bears getting on the plane that we've got to go help. <laughs> right? You don't find coyote hospitals. Right? We are different. Not simply because... We're the highest. There is a difference. Genesis 1.27 explains that. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. We are different than animals because there is something of the divine in human beings. On the other hand, only creation explains the bad side of people. The cruelty, the selfishness, the greed, the violence, and the perversion. Now... If evolution is true, you just you up and up and up and up. That would mean everybody would be philanthropists. Everybody would be kind and gracious. But we live in a world where in the same world, the same species, you can have people who are incredibly loving and kind and generous. You have others who are violent, wicked, perverse. How can that be explained? Creation explains it. It's called the fall. When people chose to turn away, man changed or damaged something on the inside and released a destructive power that controls or drives. See, the book of Genesis, it literally means origins or beginnings. And it's the origin of all wisdom. We learn that God is the center of creation, not man. The verse we read in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We were made for God. Genesis 2-7, he breathed life, the breath of life into his nostrils. We were created for God. That means you will never be completely satisfied or fulfilled apart from God. That's why people who don't believe in God, they say, and I feel empty inside. Because in the beginning, God, he created us. God is the one who determines life. He sets the rules because He's the Creator. We are accountable to Him. And we find in creation that God shows His opinion about the value of a human being. Think, the crown 
of creation as human beings. It's all beautiful. It's all good. Every day, it's good, it's good, it's good. But he wanted you to exist. You were planned. We've looked at that in other sermons. He wants you to be a part of his family by choice. And when we sinned and turned away, he set in motion the most incredible rescue plan in time of eternity. Is God himself not only created us, he came out of heaven, became a man, lived as a man, suffered and died as a man so that we could be saved. The final reason why I believe in creation or I have faith in a creator and I believe it's logical is because the personal experience of God's work in creation. Titus 3.5, listen to this verse. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. Look at this. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Fascinating word. Regeneration. It is literally in the Greek, palengenesis. And you can't challenge because you don't know it. So that's, that's good. Genesis. It means re-genesis. Genesis again or rebirth. Jesus called it born again. See, the creator God didn't make the earth and, and now I'm exhausted. There's nothing else I can do. No, no, no. The creator God can still create. And that scripture says he can recreate. He can take broken, damaged human beings who have known nothing but selfishness and greed and addictions. And the Bible says he can regenesis them again. He can recreate on the inside. And that's what we see. That's what I've experienced. I have experienced God's recreation. And the moment that happened, everything changed. I'm looking out. There are people here, just out of curiosity, how many of you, since you got saved, you are dramatically different than you used to be? I'm not talking about like one or two. That creation, creating work of God is still at work. And that is another reason why I believe in creation. It makes sense. And I have experienced it. And that experience is not just independent But it's because I connected with God, who is the creator. And when I oriented my life to a creator, everything began to fit. Everything began to make sense. Things began to change because the God who made me, he remade me. And that is what he's able to do for you. Let's bow our heads.